what's happening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Austin with Block Bites, and welcome to Beyond the Block, the show where we talk to the risk takers and the hit makers from around the crypto ecosystem. And today we've got a doozy for you, folks. We are sitting down with Alan Scott, co-founder of Railgun. Now, if you haven't heard of Railgun, you're going to. They are a privacy protocol that's been deployed on BNB chain, Ethereum, and Polygon. And we talk about some really, really cool stuff. We get into uh, the fundamental right to privacy, the ways in which people have been convinced to work against their own best interest and the ways in which Railgun is working to preserve this on your behalf. This was an extremely eye-opening interview that dives into some of the most pressing topics of the day. Stay tuned. You're going to love it. I know that we did. And for a quick reminder, none of this is financial advice. It's certainly not legal advice. But if you like the content, hit the like button and subscribe to the channel. Alan, thanks so much for joining us, man. So uh, let's—I don't know—let's let's actually, Clay. Did you want to? Did you want to kick us off, man? You, you, I saw you giggling earlier in our our pre-show prep, like you had something planned that I don't know about. Maybe we should maybe we should start there before we get into some intros. Did you want to do yeah. that or? Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's do okay. it. Okay, we got got Alan from Railgun here. I've got some questions for you guys. Uh, the nice part is that Austin hasn't seen them either. I don't know what they so- are. So we're just going to jump into them and and and, uh, and get some responses here. So uh, would you rather style, right? So just go ahead, shoot from the hip uh, and let me know what you think and, and you can both answer. So Alan, would you rather have little chiclet teeth or majorly oversized gums? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I think little chiclet teeth. Yeah. yeah, dude, I actually have little chiclet teeth. You can't really see them because I have like an I have like an end to end bite. I actually I, I wear Invisalign at night trying to like fix them. But anyhow, uh, yeah, the gum so thing kind of looks like a horse, you know, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> bad, bad bad tooth to gum ratios. You can't fix that. That's a real no, problem. Man. Yeah. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, would you rather have a mullet for the rest of your life or a man bun for the rest of your life? Oh man, that's really easy. I have a mullet like right now. <laughs> Uh, for, I think it depends on where I'm living in the country, man. If I'm like in South Florida, you can man butt that shit all day. The girls love it. And if you know, if I were in uh, Kentucky or you know, where where was Joe Exotic from? He he got away with that shit, didn't he? Yeah, I don't know where <laughs> Oklahoma, don't maybe know where or something from, like but... that. So I think I'd, probably, I'd go man bun. I'll, I'll go man bun. Right. Yeah, man-bun. just being that I'm in Florida, easier commute. That's that's right. <laughs> Fit right in, Florida man. Uh, that's so Would you would you rather move to uh, a new city every single week, or never be able to leave your hometown? Oh man, definitely move every single week, which seems to be 100. what I'm doing right now in crypto. Yeah. Yes, dude, hundred percent. I agree with that. I'm on the move. So you guys are you're moving. Oh yep. yeah, hundred percent. All right. Yeah, I I I wouldn't want to be a, what I would call a townie either. So um, that makes a lot of sense. Would you rather have as a roommate Joe Exotic? Oh, hey. Or, <laughs> or uh, the, the Bagdanov twins? The Bogdanovs. Oh, my Bogdanovs. God. Bogdanovs. What in the hell? Oh, oh you know, if, if Joe Exotic was my roommate, I'll bet he'd get a little handsy. But, you know, I don't know about these guys. Like, they, uh, 
They look a little handsy. I, you know, I don't know. I, I'll go with the Bogdanovs, but you get a two for one with them. You know, it's you're getting double your pleasure with the Bogdanovs. Yeah. yeah, I'd probably go with Joe Exotic just so I had like a, you know, uh, someone to look up to when it comes to mullets. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys could have the same hairstylist. It'd be easy. Uh, okay, this is a little more serious one, and, and this one actually requires a response. So what's scarier? Uh, centralized digital bank currencies or social credit scores? Man. Uh, I think, I don't know. I think like, I think CBDCs are just because like, I think they have like a higher propensity to make it in like, um, uh, you know, democratic governments. I think that's probably the scarier one if I had to really sit and think about it. And that's just because, um, I, I think like, you know, in totalitarian regimes or, you know, dictatorships, right. Um, you know, social credit, uh, scores probably, uh, w- would live a little bit easier. And I think we sort of have that, uh, today with like, you know, Facebook and things like that. People, you know, judge each other based on like their social media presence, but like, yeah, CBDCs, I think are probably the, the more, you know, scary one. And I, that's just because like, you know, censorship of like how you can spend money really kind of can dictate like just how free you are. Uh, as a human, right? If you want freedom of press, you know what you got to do? You got to print stuff. <laughs> and you know what? That costs money. money. It costs money. That's right. That's so right. like, yeah, like if you want to be censored really aggressively, you know, have someone control, you know, wholly your uh, right to money. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to echo that. I, I feel like, I feel like I could, I could skate outside of, uh, you know, I could become a ghost, but even, even if you're ghostly, like you still, have to spend money and if the only way to to transact is controlled by the government at the end of the day uh you know you're screwed so i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with the money thing all right CBDC. i mean i i see both sides and and i also think it's frightening like if you're you know if you're beyond your carbon footprint for the day that your you know your meal that you wanted mm. to buy cannot be purchased so uh i find them both to be exceptionally frightening and and potentially evil good deal good deal all right so uh alan we got to get into it so i've been digging through uh railgun railway wallet transacting doing some swaps trying to wrap my brain around what you guys do and i want to get into all of that and we're going to but before we get there can we can we talk about you for a minute uh you and i actually have some commonalities with uh, japan and some other things what the hell got you here like what what made you just say screw it i want to be the face of of privacy on the blockchain like what is this oh man um yeah so i got into crypto in like 2017 very late in the 2017 um graduating class and um i guess what really got me into crypto uh, was a bunch of my friends um, who were just in it. Um, I was really into like trading, um, you know, primarily on, um, you know, uh, uh, ETFs was what I was really into. Um, so trading um, uh, like QQQ, TQQQ, this kind of thing. And uh, I started looking into like more different ways to be like more degenerate, right? How do I get like bigger and bigger swings? And so like, um, you know, that kind of led me to like trading in crypto. Um, and then, of course, like leverage centralized exchange trading. Um, but then it got a little bit more um, like in the weeds of like, oh, what am I trading? Um, and so I started joining like all these different like telegram groups um, and really got deep in the weeds. And I always thought it was really cool whenever you'd be in like a, you know, protocols um, telegram chat and you'd see like one of the guys who were like on the website, like respond. Right. You're like, oh, man, that's Austin. Right. And, <laughs> you know, and you're like really excited about it. You know, so like I remember being in like the, you know, the, the different 
um, you know, protocol chats, being really, really excited about that. And, um, you know, I was kind of at the point in my career in, um, you know, late 2020, where I was probably, you know, ready to make a move. And, you know, the opportunity presented itself, you know, there was a team forming around um, the, uh, the the Railgun project in, you know, early 21. And um, I just, you know, I had a wild hair. I've always been a bit of a risk taker, you know, like when I graduated from college, I sold all my stuff and moved to Asia. Um, and so um, I, I, I was really into just taking the risk and seeing what happened. And I, I think that like, the, the project mission really resonated with me, um, you know, because privacy is something that we definitely need in um, the financial infrastructure. Um, and it's something that we definitely don't have um, in the vast majority of crypto. So you've got some, a lot of connections to uh, Asia. You just mentioned Asia. I spent some time in Tokyo as a kid. I know that you've spent uh, a bunch of time out there. Like what, what the hell after college made you go, screw it. I want to go hop on a plane for 24 hours and, and move to a country where the language is completely different. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, is I, um, I studied Japanese, right? So I studied Japanese in high school, actually. Um, weirdly enough, my high school offered it. Um, I didn't want to take Spanish. Uh, I've always been like, you know, trying to be variant and obtuse. And so like, um, you know, it's cool to be different, right? Kind of thing. And so I, you know, I studied Japanese instead. Uh, and then it was in for a penny, in for a pound. My university offered it. Um, and so I took more of it in, in uh, university and uh, did a study abroad in Osaka. And that was where I kind of got really, I was like, wow, this place is pretty cool. <laughs> and so um, I wanted to use my degree. And so I, I moved off to Japan. And uh, yeah, I worked in Japan for a couple of years before I, my, you know, eventually my career brought me back here to with the U.S. <laughs> How long did you live there? Uh, cumulatively, it was like right at three years. Okay. Yeah. Um, have you seen Tokyo Drift, The Fast and the Furious? I have. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, I you got all the guitars behind you. I'm just, I'm just picturing like, you know, because he like, because kind of southern had an accent, like lived in Tokyo. <laughs> like, did you bring, did you bring the guitars? Were you like the, uh, the student over there who like would play guitar and, and sing American songs? Or what it's, was the deal? It's so funny you say that. I did actually do that. They had a <laughs> um, an international festival, and I played like, um, Avit Brothers. They're from North Carolina. You guys probably don't know, but anyway, um. I played some like Avid Brothers music, I think it was. And um, the truth be known, actually, I'm really into Japanese car culture. Um, I'm really into um, high performance driving events. I'm actually going to the track this uh, coming weekend uh, from when we're recording it. Uh, so I was actually really into the car culture over in Japan as well. And uh, um, yeah, even went to like different like um, events around the country, watching people doing like drifting and stuff like that. So very funny. You very mentioned cool. That. Yeah, that's so funny. That, that's awesome, though. I've, I have yet to see that, but I'd like to see it in person. It'd be cool. It is. Let's go. All right. So, so w w were you there in the 2000s? I was there, what, early 90s, I guess. We used to like Shibuya, Ginza, like those were those were the hot spots uh, back when I lived in Tokyo. And I, I've only seen Tokyo Drift once, but I like remember them <laughs> really kind of like glorifying this insanely technical, crazy ass Tokyo, which it is in parts of it. And then in other parts of it, it was like, the most traditional, respectful, most honorable culture you've ever met with a very high degree of alcoholism, like underneath <laughs> the surface. Like that's what I remember, dude. And the Japanese, unfortunately, like when they get drunk, their faces get super duper red, man. Right. I remember being on the subway and just seeing like, you know, they're reading the manga, porn magazines and like, like yeah. their faces are just red as shit, man. And that was just totally normal. Like, yeah, yeah. 
my favorite Instagram um, is, um, or one of them, I should say, is I think it's called like Tokyo Hangover. And it's basically just like uh, candid shots. They blur their face out. Um, or most of the time they're, you know, so slumped over you can't see it. Um, but, you know, you always see like the drunken salary man, like, you know, somewhere, you know, sleeping on the street and people just leave them there. I always thought that was like the, the, the weirdest part of Japanese culture. It's like <laughs> someone is so wasted that they have collapsed upon the street and no one sees if they're okay. It's just totally, <laughs> it's, it's totally accepted. Um, but yeah, I spent a lot of time in like, um, I, I lived in Shinagawa, uh, which is where the, the bullet train comes into Tokyo. Um, so I spent a lot of time like, you know, downtown area, um, rode my bicycle all over the place. Um, really, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. In fact, you know, I've always entertained, um, you know, going back at some point and just, you know, living there on a more permanent basis. And I think maybe crypto um, will afford me that opportunity. So actually, you know, looking at it right now, maybe it happens. Let's go. Clay, take it away, buddy. Cool. Yeah. So uh, fascinating stuff. I actually, I, I had a friend tell me that, that people get drunk and actually sleep on the streets, but the culture is so kind of tight that that's totally fine. And, and it's sort of like uh, just part of, part of the culture. So uh, yeah. do that, in, do that in America and, and see if you wake up with a phone wallet or watch, uh, I would mm -hmm. say probably not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I, you know, I think let's kind of, let's kind of get into some of the stuff that we wanted to go through today. So, you know, we're going to get into to Railgun and go many, many layers deeper. But before we do that, uh, I kind of want to zoom out and, and look at, you know, just more the macro picture uh, around privacy and sort of, you know, Alan, what do you see as the problem right now? Why are we here having this conversation? And we talk about natural privacy. You know, we enjoy some of it right now in real life. We enjoy a lot of it in, in TradFi to some extent, although it may be deteriorating, uh, you know, as things go forward. But, but what do you see as the problem uh, as it relates to privacy and, and how it pertains to crypto? Yeah, so I think that there's um, it's it's a very like um, multifaceted issue, right? Um, I think it's always been part of the ethos. Uh, if you look at like the original like cypherpunk type ethos that was written in the Bitcoin white paper, which if anybody is you know listening to this and they haven't read the Bitcoin white paper, you should. It's a whopping nine pages long. Um, it's not, <laughs> it's it's not it's not big at all. So um, have a read. Um, in fact, go into like the sources and read those too. It's really, really good stuff. But, you know, privacy was talked about uh, even then, right? And uh, it was kind of projected forward that it would be a problem because, you know, it's on a wholly um, public decentralized um, ledger, right? Which I think a lot of people don't quite understand, right? So I think that first, I think we have a really big like education problem around like crypto, right? So I think that people believe that like the pseudonymous nature of like a zero X address is enough for them to be private. And that's just really not the case, right? In fact, I think we had like a, a quick call uh, before this where we were talking about like what happens when people like transact with each other. Like if I send, you know, Clay, I send you some crypto, the first thing you do, right, is you go onto Etherscan yep. and then proceed to judge me, right? <laughs> yeah. Go back through and, everything you've ever done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, it's, it's kind of like we, we kind of joke about it, but it's really um, a, a deep invasion of your privacy, you know, because if we think about it, um, and if we take it like really seriously, like this is the future of finance, you know, it's one thing to like bet on chip coins and hope they, you know, move up 10, 10,000% or something like this. That's all good fun. You know, gambling is, is great. That's why Vegas is a place. And so <laughs> I, I think that, I, I think that if we take it really seriously and we say like, Hey, this is the future of finance, then, 
um, you know, we have to have privacy, you know? So for example, if I were to ask you guys here live on the spot, like how much is in your bank account, which, what do you guys want to tell me? Right. I'm assuming neither one of you. Nada. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a damn thing. Yeah. Right. And so like, you know, like you were saying, Clay, you know, we have, um, we have a semblance of like, um, privacy when it comes to, you know, traditional finance, uh, even with like the, the web two experiences, if you will. So if I send you some money via, you know, Venmo, um, you can't see uh, how much is in my bank account or anything like that. Or you go and you you swipe your card at your, your local coffee shop. Uh, the only thing that they get to see is um, approved, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then they hand you your coffee. They don't, you know, get to you know look through your Wells Fargo statements or wherever you have your bank account, right? And so I think that once we start to really break it down and like really show people like the differences in between them. Um, that we'll, we'll start to kind of recognize that there is a big problem. Um, and I think that that's only kind of exacerbated by like this new business model that's come out uh, very recently in crypto, which is like really heavy on on-chain analytics. You know, so you have companies like Chainalysis um, and Nansen and things like this, particularly the latter, where, you know, they're basically taking collecting, collating, and then selling people's data to, you know, you know their subscribers or the highest bidder, if you will, right? Yep. And you know, this has very, um, you know, dubious ramifications for a whole bunch of different people. You know, if you're a trader in the space and you're trying to maintain some sort of alpha, uh, this could be really bad for you. Uh, if you're trying to get into a position or get out of it, whatever that may be, um, it could be bad for you. But even worse, if you're in, if you're a dissonant in a country uh, where they don't look so kindly uh, upon your type, uh, it could be really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think that you know, we have to really first understand what the problem statement is, right? And why privacy is important. It's really easy to say that it's for like shadowy, you know, hacker types. And albeit that the case, um, I, I think that it's also important for people who have, um, you know, just average, you know, everyday lives. Um, we all have, you know, things that we want to keep private. And I think that our finances is one of them. But I think the reason why a lot of like, privacy hasn't come into the space is because it's incredibly difficult to make. It's so hard to build this kind of stuff. And that's mm-hmm. kind of um, where, you know, I guess where Railgun comes in, you know, we're really trying to make it, you know, really easy to, to do, right? You know, so with like our SDK and things like this, we're trying to make like a quick start SDK and make it so like developers don't have to worry about like all the really intense cryptography and things like that, that allow these things to be private because it is, um, it's, it's really difficult. So um, I think that's that's kind of the problem. All right. So I'm listening to you talk and I can't help but think like we're we're almost living in a time where the new generation has been impregnated with the idea that privacy is somehow bad. Right. So before the interview, we were we were kind of diving into a little bit of the, the history of like privacy. And the thing the thing that I the line that I like the most was the right to be left alone. Is, is essentially what privacy is. And if you look at, like, if you go back to um, the Patriot Act, right? 9-11, never, never let a good enemy go to waste, nor uh, should you let a good catastrophe not not give the government the ability to yank privacy away from its citizens. And that is that was like, I, I don't want to say that's the beginning, but that was the point at which all Americans, uh, you know, just because that's the country I live in, all Americans seem to be getting on board with, well, they're protecting us. So yeah, 
go ahead, do whatever the hell you want. And then we've got Snowden later on that says, hey, these guys are like reading all of your emails, all of your messages. <laughs> like there's really no privacy whatsoever now at this point. And so now, you know, fast forward to like the tornado cash situation and, and all sorts of things that we've got going on now. The new narrative is uh, if you're if you're not doing things illegal, you have nothing to hide, which we all know is complete horseshit since privacy is uh, a fundamental human right. But what do you, what's your take on that, man? Because it does seem like we're, we're just kind of getting squeezed and squeezed and squeezed a little bit more as time goes along. Yeah. So I think like one of the core things that we have to appreciate like around like uh, privacy is that like privacy, at least I believe anyway, is like necessary for freedom. Right. Um, and without privacy, you know, we're going to be subject to, you know, surveillance. We're going to be subject to, you know, manipulation uh, by those uh, who have access to that data. Right. And I think that that um, is uh, uh, unfortunately more frequently than not, um, not in our best interest. Right. Um, it's really cute and serendipitous whenever Facebook, you know, shows us, um, you know, you can see my dog here, you know, some some new like, you know, dog food that um, and they're probably listening to this call. Who knows? Right. But um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and, and so like, um, you know, they show you some new dog food or something like this or some supplements for your dog or whatever. You know, my phone's probably listening to all this and they're about to uh, dish all this out, you know. Um, and, and it's really cool, you know, that all this data analytics, you know, just in time happens to show us all the things that we want and need to buy. Right. And so like in terms of marketing, you know, it's really fun and it's really easy to say that that's really cool. But I think that like it's really difficult um, to say that like we can be free without being like, you know, having some sort of privacy. Um, I think back to like. The, the the revolution right do we think that like if england you know knew what we were up to over here um if we would have like had like our own little country <laughs> to, to start off right um you know we have july 4th this kind of thing right and so i think that we we have to have it right and i think that we have to appreciate like the the long-term battle uh around privacy too because this isn't like a new conversation so like you know for example if we look back in like the 90s, you know, there was this really big uh, debate around privacy, right? Um, and, you know, we basically had a, uh, without getting in the weeds of like the crypto wars, you know, we had this thing, right, where, you know, the government was trying to decide like how much cryptography should people have access to, right? And, um, you know, their, their desire is to have, um, I don't know, a purview into everything you do, right? And this is for the sake of like um, law enforcement. And so like, um, they don't want us to have any. And a, you know, a good privacy minded person would want to have uh, as much as humanly possible with no back doors and it be strong and good, right? And so I think that we have to, you know, appreciate where law enforcement is coming from, where they want to stop baddies. And I believe there's hopefully, um, I'm not like, as like tinfoil hat perhaps is the next guy, maybe they do want to stop bad guys in this sort of thing, right? And maybe it's a, you know, with the best intentions, but I also believe that, you know, you know, there can also be a little bit of uh, not so good intentions, um, you know, outside of the US, right? So um, I think when it comes to like crypto, this isn't like a new narrative, but it's really just kind of like a rehash of, you know, what's happened in, in the past, right? You know, where we finally decided um, that, you know, for financial reasons, in fact, like if you think about it, right, financial privacy became a thing on the internet, um, you know, because of this whole like big, you know, drawn out fight in the 90s, right? People wanted to put their credit card information in to buy things online and they wanted to make sure that that was secure and not stolen by hackers. And so we got, you know, privacy because of like um, 
you know, the world of finance. And I'm hopeful that we'll get it in, um, you know, in, in crypto as well, um, in spite of all the, the sanctions and things like this that we're seeing around crypto now. So when you're talking about the fight back in the 90s, like, are you referring to like SSL encryption, PGP with email, or was there was there something else in there? Yeah, exactly. So there's PGP, right? That's kind of like the big thing, right? So you had like Bernstein uh, against the, the, I guess it was the DOJ, right? Uh, where he effectively sued them for the right to be able to like uh, discuss cryptography as like a person without the permission of like the government. Right. And the argument was is that like code is free speech. Right. So if I talk about, you know, multiplying these big complex numbers together as to make it, you know, difficult to work backwards and create a trapdoor and thus cryptography. Right. If I say it out loud, this is protected free speech. But if I write it down and codify it, magically it becomes not free speech. Or at least that was the argument in the um, uh, in the 90s. Right. And so his argument was around. Um, I, I would believe, you know, fundamentally, like the right to like discuss and have like open source code um, around cryptography, and I think like our arguments in, in cryptocurrencies will be around the application of those, right? So um, this is a totally different discussion. I th it's kind of the same, but it's I think it's a little bit different, right? If we look at like the, you know, the OFAC sanctions and things like this, like I think our argument will be around the right to 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 use this code, not just talk about it. So I want to bring up one, uh, what I think to be maybe one of the most egregious um, in, invasions of privacy that we've seen in, in modern time, uh, which happened um, last year with the Canadian trucker event uh, oh. and the, enable, the enablement of uh, the Emergencies Act, which had never been used before in Canada um, to freeze bank accounts and to freeze crypto assets. Um, you know, do you think that that type of thing is a wake-up call for not just Canada, but the world? that what we're talking about here today is already happening. Like there's the invasion of privacy, the, the overstep and overreach of the government um, and, and taking slowly taking our privacy away is already afoot. Yeah, I think it definitely is. Um, I think that we really overestimate how much privacy we have. Uh, first of all, like uh, we don't have a bunch, you know, uh, on any given day, your GPS service is on your phone, right? Um, it's, it's really kind of, um, uh, yeah, it's very lacking. And I think that like, you know, it was a very interesting kind of like first step, but I don't think we got like a lot of, um, I think we got a lot of movement out of it. You know what I mean? I think people have kind of forgotten that it happened, unfortunately, yeah. if I'm just being honest with myself. I would love to say that that was like our rah-rah moment and like, here we come privacy. But like, I think, um, I think there was actually a very interesting moment that happened that I saw a lot of people riled up about um, very, very recently, and that was around Celsius. Did you guys see what happened with Celsius whenever like their bankruptcy proceedings? Oh yeah, uh, came out. Yeah, we we did a whole topic on it on on one of our other shows where they just doxed basically their entire roster. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that was a really interesting point because it really. Um, a lot of people are still talking about that, right? So for for anybody listening who may not know, right? Um, you know, fundamentally what happens in bankruptcy proceedings is um, they take and they publicly display like their creditors and things like this, right? So, you know, um, it's kind of interesting to watch like crypto grow up, right? You know, so, um, you know, they found about they found out about real yield, you know, like, uh, you know, protocols making uh, money and thus, you know, sharing it with people who stake this kind of thing, right? Um, you know, so, you know, I guess dividends. Um, and then we've now learned that bankruptcy proceedings are public. <laughs> and so like um, we have everything like doxed out in the world. 
and you know you see all these transactions and you know i'm sure nansen you know chain you know chainalysis these guys had a field day with it uh mm -hmm. but now there's like a lookup service too like i think there's like a just like a community run like lookup service i could take and type in austin or clay and or alan and say oh hey they're um <laughs> there they are they deposited into into you know into celsius and so like i think that that's kind of like one of the it's it's interesting because it wasn't like a government overstep or anything like that it was just like people saying like whoa hold on a second like maybe this isn't like a good thing and like you know centralized authorities can you know do what they want to willy-nilly with like my um with my data and so like i'm kind of hoping that we can you know sort of ride that to a little bit more um of an understanding like why privacy is important so this is one of those cool cases, though, where, you know, in normal bankruptcy proceedings in traditional finance, if they were to release all these names and dates and deposit amounts, nobody's going to go tie the damn account back to those people. But but because of the open nature of block explorers, we're able to do that. And so that's it's mm. not often we have a conversation where people go, well, in TradFi, this wouldn't have happened, you know, unless you're talking about, you know, Doquan or something. So. Right. Right, exactly right. Yeah. And so that's like one of the big points that people should appreciate, which I had that epiphany, you know, sort of early on in like the the ICO craze of, of things, right? I was in all these different like private groups on Telegram and people were, you know, I had somebody ask me why I was in like a specific, you know, position, right? And like, oh, hey, how'd you get into, you know, such and such shitcoin? And I'm like, how'd you know that? And uh, like, oh, well, this is your wallet, right? And it's, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's me, you know, so. <laughs> You know, it's been a little while, you know, migrating to new wallets, but um, yeah, yeah, I think it was really broad, you know, um, display of like why we need privacy in the blockchain space. So uh, question for you, just out of curiosity, like what's your take on the tornado cash situation? Because I got to be honest, I went through multiple emotions over over this whole deal, just with the developer and then sanctioning code and, and kind of coming to the conclusion that it was almost like, you know what, even if they lose in court, the damage has been done like years later. Uh, do you have like an opinion on this? Is there is there an underlying motive? I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but I'm yeah, interested. yeah. So um, I think that um... I think we, we have to always look at like both sides of it, right? So if you look at the, the OFAC side of it, right, it was to try to stop, you know, North Korean hackers with lots of money, right? Um, which, um, you know, they, you know, seemingly have a ton of it, right? Um, you know, very successful hackers, it seems. So, yeah. um, unfortunately, um, really just pillaging the, um, the, the, you know, the smart contracts of the world. But, you know, suffice it to say, right, you know, if we look at like why they're doing it, right, you know, perhaps it's with good intentions, right? But I think that it had a little bit of a, um, a sloppy, um, you know, implementation, uh, if you will, which is really, really unfortunate. Um, and so we could see, you know, the, the, the Coinbase, um, you know, legal actions, we could see the Coin Center uh, legal actions um, around that. And I, I think they're both really interesting arguments around like, um, you know, free speech association and like, um, unreasonable like you know seizure of uh u.s assets um and so i'm very i'm very bullish on this like working itself out in the um you know the the, the courtrooms but i also know how long that stuff takes right if we if we look at like the um you know so to your point right if we look at what happened in the 90s you know the war on cryptography started in the early early 90s if not the early in the late 80s right it really kind of ramped up then and it, didn't, it took until 1999, if not, you know, 2000, depending on how you look at it, for like 
the the government to say okay yeah all right you're right you can have like encrypted emails <laughs> and so like it was a 10-year battle it was a long time and so like i hope it doesn't take that long but i also believe that you're right you know it could take a very long time for this sort of thing to to to, to work itself out um but i also believe that it was a little bit misreported um um in the in the news right you know and so um ultimately if i had to you know put a stance on it you know i'd say that like this is well outside of the the treasury department's authority um i'd call it unconstitutional and frankly will be proven to be um illegal um but um you know time will tell on that so this is probably a good segue into railgun uh which we've got to dive into deep so so if you were to just you know elevator pitch me man what is what is railgun well let's start there what is what is railgun yeah, yeah. So Railgun, um, if I had to take and put it succinctly, I would say that we're building privacy infrastructure for DeFi, right? And this means that you can take and do uh, swaps privately. Uh, you can take and do, you know, lending, yield farming, this sort of thing, uh, buy NFTs, um, stake, uh, vote and governance, this sort of thing, and 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 do that privacy, uh, you know, do that in a, a privacy preserving way. That's That's what we're building. Um, you know, currently the smart contracts are deployed on Ethereum, BSC, and Polygon, um, and you could use them today by way of uh, railway. Um, and yeah, we've basically taken um, what what Zcash did on a, a blockchain and made it into a smart contract system that allows you to do um, you know arbitrary DeFi stuff. So uh, sending any ERC token that you would like, whether it be stable coins or you know. Um, um, I don't know, whatever your favorite shitcoin is to somebody, you can do that. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, we're really, really excited to be doing it. We're seeing TVL growth and people using it. And uh, yeah, we're, we're building privacy tech. So so you mentioned Railway. I just want to like clarify a couple of things so people kind of understand the, how, how to use it. So can you go over the chains that you're on again? And then what is Railway exactly? Just so we have a, a clear understanding of, of kind of the, the tech that's being utilized by uh, users. Yeah, yeah, a great question. So Railway, uh, so we partnered with some devs on uh, building um, sort of a lighthouse case, uh, if you will, right? So we have all this really complicated uh, privacy infrastructure, right? Railgun uh, is just infrastructure at the end of the day, right? It's it's the substrate. You can think of it like 0x. Uh, you know, so 0x is a really great DEX aggregator, uh, really cool API, but average people don't, you know, interact with 0x. They interact with Matcha. Right or uh, right. or the Brave Swap functionality or something like this, and so um, so we wanted to be able to display like what we're building, right? Because it's really cool tech, right? Um, right? You know, private DeFi fully on chain. It's really really cool, um, and so you know we partnered with some devs who helped us um, with uh, building a wallet infrastructure, and so Railway is like the lighthouse case of like some of the things that you can do with Railgun. Right. So in Railgun, you can take from your public balance, you could put money into your private balance. So let's say you have some DAI or some USDC or whatever other stable coins you're into, uh, HUSD, uh, rest in peace. Um, <laughs> you know, we'll see, um, you know, people can deposit whatever they would like. Right. And um, uh, they can shield that. Right. So they put that into their private balance. Uh, they can then send that privately to other users who have um, a zero ZK address uh, in the railway wallet or they can unshield it into someone's regular old 0x address, 
Um, and currently they can do swaps, right? So you could take and leverage the Zero X API that I was mentioning earlier. Uh, we partnered with those guys, um, so, you know, Railway, Railgun, Zero X, Trifecta came together and made it so you could do like, um, you know, private swaps, but that's just the start, right? So we'll continue to, you know, develop really interesting, you know, DeFi integrations. You know, we have um, Ren, Zero DAO, um, you know, we're working on deploying on Arbitrum, uh, getting out there to um, see, uh, you know, the world of, uh, you know, GMX, GOP, Umami, the list goes on, right? Seeing how we can, uh, you know, interface with the, the world of perps. Um, and um, yeah, so slowly but surely, you know, the team at Railway, it seems like they're trying to build like the Argent wallet of like privacy, if you will, right? You know, so smart contract wallet uh, that has like all these really cool privacy uh, inter integrations. Uh, but with Railgun, you know, our goal is to, you know, see this be, you know, out in the world everywhere as deep as like humanly possible. So the Railgun smart contracts are deployed on Ethereum. By, uh, it's not Binance Smart Chain anymore. It's BNB Smart Chain. Uh, <laughs> I really got to stop calling it that. But um, Polygon. <laughs> Uh, we're going to deploy on uh, Arbitrum, um, Optimism, Metis, um, Near. Um, you know the list goes on, right? So pretty much everywhere that supports the, you know, the type of cryptography that we have, uh, you know, we'll deploy there. And and the reason why is because we want people to be able to you know integrate this where they're doing their DeFi stuff, right? So um, you know we'll make Railgun as widespread as you know humanly possible, and um, you know hope that people you know integrate it. Uh, you know, beyond railway. Are you guys creating the sort of tool where uh, if if done correctly, like it's the sort of thing where you put the tech out there, uh, people with the with the ability come and develop on it and folks are using Railgun, but they don't know who Railgun is. Like, is that, that would be kind sick. of where we're going with this? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, so like the long-term goal, right, is, um, you know, I point back to, to Zero X again. A lot of people, when you say Zero X in crypto, you know, if they're really new, they're like, who? Right, and you mm -hmm. say matcha, they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I've used matcha before." You know? <laughs> yeah. like, um, and so, like, that's kind of like the the goal for for Railgun is to to be the the the, the deep substrate infrastructure, you know. And you know, who knows? You know, hopefully one day, you know, we can see like maybe um, some EIP formed around it or something like that. That's just you know, me me wishing into the future. Who knows? <laughs> Hey, so I, I want to jump into the tech for a second, um, and and I'm going to ask that you talk to me like a five year old uh, with my my small brain. Good, um, that's and, how small my brain is too. <laughs> <laughs> and break down some of this stuff uh, in a way that hopefully we can understand it. So, you've mentioned cryptography a bunch of times. Um, how does cryptography work around this privacy issue? Um, why can no one else see my private balance? Like what you know, like what's going on here? Uh, in the world of cryptography that makes this stuff possible. So um, the cryptography behind it is really interesting and deep. Um, and the mathematics are beyond my uh, <laughs> my tiny, tiny, tiny brain. Um, in fact, um, it's always interesting. I talked to, you know, Hisham or, you know, you know the guy who wrote all the cryptographic circuits for, for Railgun. And I'm absolutely stunned that... Um, not that he knows it, you know what I mean? Because of course he's, you know, just a hyper intelligent guy. But the fact that like this stuff exists, you know, this moon math is there. But if I have to break it down, like it, you know, explain it like I'm five kind of way, right? So you have your you have your zero x address, right? And in that is like public tokens, right? Anybody can take and type in your zero x address uh, and see it on a block explorer and you know see all the stuff you're doing, right? Um, you could actually take and interact with the railgun smart contract. 
and deposit money into the, the Railgun smart contract. Now what's happening here is you're, you're basically putting uh, encrypted notes on a UTXO Merkle tree. So Bitcoin is UTXOs. Um, so you basically make this note that says I have the right to spend uh, my you know, $10,000 or whatever that may be, right? And it's in, encrypted. Um, and so you have all these different people they're taking and depositing you know their their money into the smart contract they're getting their utxos and this merkle tree is being formed right um, and if you don't know what a merkle tree is that's fine just imagine a tree and your notes are the leaves on that tree okay uh which is the easiest way to understand it bingo um, i'm I'm sure that like people who actually write you know smart contract code and like our actual cryptographers are like clawing their eyeballs out yeah. in my terrible <laughs> explanation, but this, this is for the layman. That's <laughs> right. So, That's right. And, and so you have these notes on this tree, um, and then you can actually take and um, you know basically um, do a zero knowledge proof that you want to spend these tokens in a prescribed way, whether that be send them to someone. Um, make them interact with a smart contract or something like this, you generate a zero knowledge proof on the client side. In other words, your, you know, your phone or your, your computer or something like this. Um, and you have that submitted on the blockchain by way of a relayer, which pays the gas on your behalf, right? So part of your snark proof, if you, when you're playing around with the railway, which I recommend doing on Polygon, because the gas is uh, practically free to do it on Polygon. <laughs> Uh, yep. It's the best best test net in the world um, with real money, and um, you can you know take and do a zero knowledge proof that you want to spend this money in a prescribed way um, and do it privately um, because uh, your your notes are encrypted and the gas is being paid uh, on your behalf by someone else is is like the I guess the easiest way I think I could I could probably explain it. And so, if somebody were to I mean, just with, again, ELI-5, but uh, if I were to, let's say, send, I don't know, $1,000, right, into my shielded address for the purpose of saying, okay, somebody on a Discord was like, hey, that's your address, right, like you talked about earlier, and I'm like, well, screw that. I don't want to use that address anymore, but I need to break the chain of custody somehow without going through a centralized exchange. This is something that could happen through the smart contract on Railgun. Am I yeah, accurate yeah. in that? Yeah, exactly right. And one of the things that's really important to understand, right, and this is kind of like a key nuance, is that's like actually, um, I would argue, right, hot take here, uh, that Coinbase and Binance are the two largest mixers uh, around. Um, but um, yep. so I, I, I think, right, so Railgun, right, what's really cool about Railgun to me, right, is with, with centralized exchanges, right, can you send your NFTs to um, a centralized exchange? No, sir. No, no, not that can't. I'm aware of. No, you can't, right? Right, and so like I'm not talking like crypto dick butts or anything like that. Those are really cool, <laughs> right? I hope they do it again. But like, I'm talking like let's say you have a Uniswap D3 position, right? That mm -hmm. comes back as an ERC721 to you. It's a representation of your of your um, your position. You can actually shield that NFT, right? Now this is like future tech. It doesn't happen right now, but like this is kind of like the mission that we're on, right? You know because um with like tornado cash like the only thing you could really shield with any privacy was eth right so what did you have to do you had to sell everything to eth um and then deposit it in equal increments and hope you had exactly the amount of eth you needed to shield right yep quite yep. obnoxious right um you can deposit you know pretty much any asset but you know not the newest of new shit coins right i don't know if you've ever made that mistake you know putting trying to put a, a shit coin on coinbase and uh, <laughs> they, they don't accept it you've just like launched there it goes the it's gone forever right <laughs> um you know there goes my elon safe doge you know um, yep. um 
And so like with Railgun, right, there isn't any of this stuff, right? There isn't any um, there isn't an issue where you have to sell the ETH or like you have to worry about collapsing your liquidity provisioning or like, you know, maybe you have like a vault position or something like this, right? Um, you could take it, just put that into your private balance, um, you know, and then, you know, you know, bifurcate it out into, you know, two different wallets or, you know, keep it in your private balance, who knows, sky's the limit, right? But the goal is like, you know, true like privacy at rest, true flexible privacy, where it's like all the stuff that you can do in a, in a public balance you know, if we think about like the long-term goal here, you should, uh, I'm sorry, you know, anything you could do on a public balance, right? You should be able to do privately. And that's kind of what we're building. And and right now, is it, am I right to say that anything that uses the ERC-20 standard could essentially be ran through Railgun? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anything that doesn't like, um, yeah, bastardize the ERC-20 standard uh, can certainly go through. Um, you can you can deposit it, right? And, and you know, have it in your private balance. Uh, is is the only way this is possible a, res a result of zero knowledge proofs and how would you explain them if, if that is the case yeah yeah so it definitely is uh the result of zero knowledge proofs um and in fact what really makes it possible is there was two eips that came out back in the day there was eip 197 and then 198 and these are for uh the pre-compiles of like zero knowledge proofs that's all you need to know right it's just uh pre-compilation of like mathematics <laughs> and uh um, again, I'm sure everybody who's a, you know, a developer is just clawing their eyes out at this, but suffice it to say, yeah, it's because of zero knowledge proofs. And if I had to explain like zero knowledge proofs to somebody, um, it's actually, um, it's actually really interesting, right? So it's really, really easy to do, right? So if you can imagine here for a second, let's say, um, this is like my little binder. It has all my to-dos and stuff like that in it. I'm old school paper guy. Don't, don't murder me. Same, but, bro. Um, hey, man. <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I gotta write it down, man. If I don't write it down, it's, it's not getting done. But you can imagine here that this is like a Where's Waldo picture, okay? That's my favorite. Explain it like I'm five. Um, this, this is great. I can't wait. Okay, so imagine that this is a, uh, a, a Where's Waldo, right? I know where Waldo is, right? He's microscopically somewhere on this picture, okay? And um, I want to prove to you that I know where Waldo is without actually revealing to you I know or revealing to you where Waldo is on this on this sheet of paper. So yeah. I can do this um, in a zero-knowledge way. So what I can do is I can get an even larger, massive sheet of paper, right? You can imagine, like, the, the boundaries of, like, my... Um, you know, camera being that, right? And I could take and poke a tiny little hole in it, like the dead center of it, let's say, right? Just a little hole, just so you could take and put your eye through it. And then I could take and put Waldo behind it, right? Exactly line it up. And then you could see, yep, there's Waldo. But you actually don't know, like, if I've lined it up like this, if I've done it yeah. like this, if I've done it like this, if he's at the corner here, maybe I've, you know, done it like this. You have no, you know, no idea to know, like, how I've done that. And that's that's a zero knowledge proof, right? Because you gained well zero knowledge about anything other than the statement that I wanted to prove to you, which is I know where Waldo is. That was uh, the best explanation uh, <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. So, so question for you. So, I mean, what comes to mind with this? And there's a lot of applications that come to mind. But you had referenced buying a cup of coffee earlier. Right. And when you buy a cup of coffee, the only information they're given is I have enough. Uh, and that's kind of what you just talked about. I have enough. Give me the coffee. Let's go on. So I've heard people say, you know, like, so truth be told with the, with the ZK EVM test net coming out, like we have had to really bone up on like 
what is ZK? And neither neither Clay or I are developers. So we're like, we're like, please, somebody explain this shit to us in a way that we can understand. And I heard somebody say, well, you know, if you're if you're if you're at the voting booth and you want to prove you live in the county without, you know, revealing your actual address, like that might be a use case for ZK or or something of that nature. Now, so is this something to where well, actually, let me ask you this. What what is the relayer exactly within within Railgun? Yeah, good question. So a so in um, I guess summer of last year, uh, we developed the the beta contract, right? Um, and so this was basically a way that you could take and privatize the um, the recipient of tokens, uh, the token amount, and the, like the token type. Uh, but the one thing that wasn't solved for was the gas payer. Um, you see on you know public ledger chains, uh, decentralized uh, chains like uh, Ethereum. You know, um, you have to pay gas, right? You have to you know pay the pay the toll. And so, um, in order to take and basically um, hide who's actually uh, doing a transaction, you know, so for example, you know, Austin, you want to do a transaction on Railgun. And you don't want to like dox your um, address by paying gas. Uh, you need somebody else to do it, right? And so um, that's basically what's happening here, right? So you're basically um, listening to a broadcast of people who are saying, uh, well, it's actually just you know robots, if you will, just bots saying, hey, I'll pay the gas for this transaction um, for this fee. So yeah, this transaction on Polygon costs you know, seven cents. Uh, if you give me ten cents. Uh, I will, you know, pay the gas on your behalf for this transaction, and this all happens in like um, a wholly anonymous way. It's actually part of the zero knowledge proof that you generate when doing a transaction, and you can, um, you know, basically pay them a, a bribe, if you will, to to sign the transaction and, you know, pay the gas. And th it's important to note that this happens in like a trustless way. Uh, they can't like manipulate your snark proof or something like this uh, to pay themselves more or you know, to try to steal your funds or something like this. If they, you know, tried to do that, um, the, the proof is not um, a valid proof um, and is thus, um, you know, uh, rejected. So it can't be, you know, stolen or anything like that. Um, and, you know, while they are necessary for, you know, gas payer privacy, um, they aren't like a wholly needed part of like the, the system. So for example, if like the relayers died for, for some un unexplicable reason, you know, and relayers no longer worked, you, you know, funds are still safe. So when, when I'm doing a swap, like in the railway wallet, so this just to kind of like, again, Pbrin, but if I'm doing a, a shielded swap, what's happening is I am initiating that swap in the little DEX aggregator that you guys have there, which is hooked up to OX. It is unshielding. So leaving the smart contract itself, running through OX, coming back in with a note that says, hey, I own that shit. And then you guys are syncing that balance and reshielding it without me having to do anything. Yeah, exactly right. So all like the complicated like cryptography and stuff like that um, happens like behind the scenes, right? So we have this adapt relay smart contract that um, actually interfaces with Railgun, right? So you have the Railgun core logic where all of your notes are st stored on that Merkle tree we're learning today. Uh, so like you have the, the Merkle tree, right? All the funds are stored there. And then you have like a separate isolated contract that does like the DeFi interactions, right? So if you give it like the transaction steps that you want it to do, uh, it doesn't, right? And this is really, really important because let's say that like there's a, and I don't think there will be, right? Uh, the code for Xerox is very well ossified, but let's say just for, you know, you know, uh, you know shits and giggles that, you know, we do a DeFi integration with somebody and, um, you know, they have some sort of like zero day, right? Or some sort of issue 
a hack and exploit or something like this this means that like this intermediary contract is the only place where there's any risk and there's no like risk to actual like core logic funds you know so where the millions of dollars are sitting right now in railgun like there isn't any like actual like like, tied in like um you know DeFi interactions directly to like the logic because the last thing we want is you know someone you know someone's smart contract directly accessing um you know users funds or, or something like that so this stuff is super cool i i have a business question how do you guys make money like, like how is you know like you guys are obviously a full team i've seen i think everybody's docs like how are you guys actually making money yeah, yeah. So we uh, we were all doxxed and um, you know building privacy uh, publicly, which is uh, <laughs> uh, kind of uh, ironic in itself. But um, yeah, so we uh, initially got a grant from a Privacy Foundation, um, uh, which is really great. Uh, they're called Right to Privacy. Um, so they gave us a grant for like the first, I guess, eighteen months of runway, um, and we ended up doing a. Um, uh, a strategic partnership with DCG um, and LD Capital, right? Um, so I'm sure you guys are familiar with Barry um, and his uh, fervent bullishness on Zcash, um, and um, you're, you're the bullish on on Railgun too, which is great. Um, yeah. And so you know, we did a, a very large deal with them, uh, which was really really cool. Uh, quite excited to you know have them be part of the DAO. Uh, they've been really great uh, for um, you know infrastructure help and things like that. And the subsidiary companies of, of them have been you know great participants in the DAO. Um, uh, but beyond that, the protocol takes a 25 basis point fee, um, uh, a transaction fee uh, associated with all of the um, you know the transactions that happen, right? So you take 25 bips, uh, which is a you know s- small little chunk. Uh, but if we do uh, you know, really big volume, and we do our job that we're we're trying to do. Um, it should, um, you know, net out to a um, you know a reasonable uh, amount to you know continue to pay people in the DAO to contribute to code and research and and things like this. So, and just for anyone that's unclear, that's that's essentially less than you'd pay for a swap on Uniswap, right? Because they charge they charge thirty basis points, right? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yep. So yeah, exactly. Unless you're on like a really, really bad, like, you know, or really degen play, then I think it could be 1%, right? I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Cool. U- ultimate plans here. Uh, and, and so obviously, you know, we, you've got your proof of concept with the railway wallet, which I've been playing around with and I, I dig it, man. And uh, the, the, the use cases for this are obviously out of control. And so like what, let's look out two years or, or let's say you're in the pitch room, you know, with, with somebody raising funding, like where, where, where are y'all looking at a couple years down the road? Yeah, that's a great question. So like we're having a bit, it's like actually really interesting. So like right now, right. So we've been developing this since uh, the beginning of 21. Right. Um, and so like, you know, basically January team gets together, starts doing research on cryptography um, and, you know, different like hashing functions like Memsi, Poseidon, all this really cool stuff. Right. And saying, you know, how do we build this privacy protocol and optimize for a bunch of different stuff, which is, you know, gas performance, uh, cross contract calls and like, you know, security, this kind of thing. Right. And proof of concept contract came out in uh, July. So really, really quick uh, development, basically six months uh, crash course in developing a really complex smart contract. Um, and then the, um, you know, the V1 of the contract, if you will, was voted on by the DAO in um, the summer of this year. Right. What was really interesting is like the the first 
call it two years of development for this have been like laying the infrastructure. And that's been really, really important for us. Like we want to take and make sure the foundation of this, the bedrock is really, really solid. And we don't have to like upheave the code um, because like we want to make a change, right? And so we've been really, um, you know, you know, contributors have been really, really focused on making sure that like the, the code is really, really good on the infrastructure level. Um, because uh, when that pivot happens and we start doing like DeFi integrations, like we don't want to have to like redo them because we changed the core logic. And so I said all that to say that like that's coming to an end, man. Like we're like the foundation is is basically there. We have like I think one more governance vote, or maybe two more uh, that'll happen, and then you know we're 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 off to the races. Like we're integrating Ren, uh, we're integrating Zero DAO, uh, we're going to integrate um, you know Gnosis. Uh, you know, the list goes on, right? So basically from here forward, it's going to be, you know, taking and trying to, you know, understand what the, the best use cases are, um, whether it be for, you know, whales to, you know, individuals, uh, you know, where the volumes are flowing through um, DeFi and, and building that out, you know, and, and making it such that like anyone can take and plug this in. And so like, if I have to look into the future, right, one of the things that I see Railgun as is basically the ability for wallet providers to build an incognito mode for their wallet, which is really, really cool. Super mm -hmm. cool. And so like, you guys can imagine now that like, you know, we have the infrastructure, we have all the, the, the sexiest DeFi integrations that people can do privately, right? And they're all part of like this really cool, like Railgun API SDK, if you will, right? And so we could go to someone like, I don't know, MetaMask or, you know, Brave Wallet or something like this and say, hey, um, I think Brave would be great, by the way. Um, uh, so we'll say Brave Wallet because so, their ethos is really big privacy. Um, and so uh, we could go to Brave and say, hey, you know, you guys could have a, a incognito mode for your wallet and say that, you know, all the cool DeFi integrations that you see here, blah, 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 can go into your incognito mode. And the best news is, it's plug and play. And that's where I see like the, the future of this going, right? So we're building out this, you know, the DAO is building out really cool and interesting features. Um, and, you know, the transaction fees that are coming in allow us to take and pay out like Gitcoin grants and do hackathons and things like this to, you know, sort of, um, you know, expound our efforts into like the, the, the community. Um, and, you know, basically, you know, if, you know, two heads are better than one kind of thing. Um, and, you know, go to market to wallet providers, really big ones, right? Uh, because if there's hundreds of millions of dollars going through Railgun um, to do really cool DeFi stuff, um, it'll be really hard to ignore. And so that's um, that's where I see the future being. So I, I do I do have one question as you were talking that came up for me and you said, you know, it, so the way that I'm picturing this is just, it just becomes this privacy movement that is completely widespread. It's integrated into wallets. Everyone's using it. Obviously, the, the, the thing in my head is, is there a central point of failure? Like, is there one place that could receive a subpoena that says, oh, we got to unshield this data and turn it over? Like, do, is that, does that exist? That's a, yeah, it's a fair question. So whenever you take and put uh, money into Railgun, right, it's encrypted to your private key, right? So whenever, you know, Austin deposits money, it's, it's to your private key, right? And so that's a really, really key uh, part to this, right? So they can't go to a centralized authority and say, hey, dox everybody, uh, because it, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> that's, not, that's not how it works. Um, so from a resiliency standpoint, 
um, you, you can't actually do that, right? So uh, they couldn't take and you know come to you know anyone and say, hey, you know, uh, tell us what's going on in that smart contract because uh, what's really interesting is the smart contract actually doesn't know what's going on inside of it. But that's a really heady, long discussion um, that I'd have to get into uh, uh, the weeds of. But suffice it to say, there's no centralized authority that could dox everybody. Um, it doesn't exist. Let's go. Let's go. Alan, this has been amazing, man. I got to tell you. So like before we had our call the other day, uh, Clay, Clay will confirm this. I said, dude, these guys are working on privacy and they're fully doxed. Pay them all the fucking respect, man. Get on the phone with them and show them all the respect. And that's and that's exactly how I feel, man. That's how I feel talking to you and, and about your project. And I'm just like uh, super grateful that you came and, and chatted with us about it today, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate you guys having me. Um, you know, it's, you know, being doxxed, I guess, uh, you know, in closing remarks, I think is really quite important. You know, we're not trying to be like, you know, shadowy, you know, creatures or anything like that. You know, I've been up to I've been up to D.C. I've talked to, you know, different senators offices and things like that. And we want them to understand that, like, you know, privacy is really, really important. Right. It's definitely important for freedom. Um, and, you know, we can have it and um, it should be, you know, one of our rights, you know. So, um, you know, we're out there fighting the good fight as well to make sure that, you know, people in um you know, empower um, our public servants, which we, we should call them more, um, yep. you know, understand that it's something that we want. So, so yeah, thanks for having me though. Yeah, man. It's, honestly, one thing we didn't ask, what is your dog's name? It's the chillest dog I've ever seen Dude, in my life. Yes. <laughs> like, His name's I, Hampton. I got, Hampton. Hampton, yeah. the, Hampton, the privacy dog. Dude, yeah, Hampton, we'll throw him up on Railgun as a contributor. Yeah. Dude, yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Alan, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. And uh, let's get the hell out of here. Emmett, take us home, buddy.